Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Um, today uh, we have a special guest that is going to be speaking, and I want to go ahead and introduce him uh, before the service. That way he can just go ahead and come up uh, when it's his time during the service. Uh, Chad Poe is with us today. Chad uh, is originally from Chattanooga. He lives in Lake Jackson, Texas now as a pastor at Grace uh, Bible Church there. Like I said, he grew up in Chattanooga, actually used to pastor in the area. And uh, he is uh, someone that I've known for a number of years, real good friends with Zach Wyatt. That's how I first got to know him. But uh, he speaks at a number of youth conferences, speaks for Student Life and YM 360, and uh, does a lot of summer uh, speaking opportunities for students. And we found out he was going to be in town this week, and so we talked to him about speaking as we continue our series. Today he's going to be talking about what we should say to our teenagers. And uh, since he spent so much of his life speaking to teenagers, we felt like he would be uh, a great asset to do that. So he's going to share, and then at the end of that, I'll come up and do some Q&A with him, and uh, that's kind of how the service go today. So uh, I think you'll enjoy He's a father of four, has four kids from ages 5 to 12, so he has a very busy home life, to say the least, but we're real excited about uh, Chad being with us today. Let me uh, lead us in a word of prayer, then we'll go ahead and start our service. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and for your many blessings. Lord, as I mentioned in the first service, as I looked out from the foyer towards the mountain this morning and saw just the beauty of your creation, just saw the leaves changing, the sun hitting them, it was truly uh, gorgeous to look at. When we see sights of that, we're reminded that we have a great creator, one that perfectly detailed designed this world. And uh, Lord, we just want to celebrate you today. And that's why we're here. We're here to worship you with our songs and praises, Lord, as we share the word later. Lord, everything we do, I pray that it would glorify your name, because that's why we're here. And Lord, we thank you for Christ. It's because of Christ that we have life. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. We're glad you're here. Would you stand with us this morning? We hope that you're ready to sing because all our songs this morning are talking about that God is the foundation of our lives and our church. So sing this with us. You know these words, just a little bit different tune. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame.
our foundation. Sing this with us this morning, church. So this covenant, his blood, supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Hope Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen? Oh, the 8.30 did a whole lot better than you online. Let's just try that again. Amen? All other ground is going to sink beneath our feet if it is not built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If our foundation is in us, it will crumble. If our trust is in man, it will crumble. If it is on God's word and in God alone, it is a solid foundation. I want to take you to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah chapter 28, verses 14 through 16, begin talking about the cornerstone. And in verse 16, it says these words, Therefore, thus said the Lord God, Behold, I, and I said this to the first service this morning. It doesn't say, behold, man said, or you said. It said, behold, I. Beautiful words. I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion. A stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Our foundation is in God and in God alone. So I ask you this question this morning. Where are you laying your foundation? Are you trying to do it yourself? Are you putting that faith and trust and hope in God alone? Would you sing these beautiful words with us this morning? My rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul. My God, like you, there is no other true delight, is found in you alone. Your to deep to fathom your love exceeds the heavens reach 
fount of perfect wisdom, my highest good and my unending our prayer this morning, church, that all of our days would bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus, because he is worthy of everything. Sing this with us this morning. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every name. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. 
worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring And worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Do you believe that, church? He is the name above every other name Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say He is worthy. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. with us this morning, church. I will build my life. I will build my life upon your life. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I Is that what you're doing? Sing that with this church. Come on. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Holy, there is no one 
are to love you with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind and build our foundation upon you. And Lord, we are to love others as ourselves. Help us, Lord, to do just that for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. in the blood. 
Eric and the worship team for leading us again today. It is so good to be with you, Miles Strait. My name is Chad Poe. As Mickey said earlier, it's not changed since then. Uh, and I am grateful for your church. I've been grateful for your church for a long time. Uh, I met uh, Clip uh, a few years ago uh, at a summer camp, and Clip said, and I thought the world of him. Uh, Zach Wyatt is my best friend, and Mickey's okay. So uh, I'm grateful that we get to be together. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And, and we're going to pick up in verse 28. Mark 12, verse 28. This series is interesting that you would say, what's the one thing that you would say often to a blank? And as I walk through the various conversation pieces of that, Mickey said... These are the themes. What would you say often to this? What would you say often to that? What would you say often to your wife? Yes, ma'am. That's what I say over and over. Yes, ma'am. What would you say often to a teenager? I've had the privilege of spending a lot of my life investing in teenagers, investing in youth pastors, investing in churches, interacting with churches like yours for the sake of helping students move forward in their relationship with Jesus. And... I'm grateful that you guys would choose to have that conversation today. And as I thought about that question, what would you say? I thought about what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus has been teaching Jesus things. Uh, He has been talking about what heaven is going to be like, what eternity is going to be like, what marriage will look like. And as he's having these conversations, people interact with him, attempting to back Jesus into a corner, attempting to make Jesus... Take a stand that is going to completely cut the rest of the world off. Attempting to cause Jesus to say things that would cause him to die. Mark chapter 12, you have one of the teachers of the law. He comes to Jesus. He's heard him having a conversation about marriage and divorce. And when he hears this conversation taking place between Jesus and a Sadducee, he says this. One of the teachers of the law approached, or verse 12, 28, one of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus had answered them well, he says this to him, which commandment is the most important of all? That's a great question. I'm imagining here in Saudi Daisy, when you hear the word commandment, you're very much like me. There's a number that comes to mind, and that's the number 10. We have a top 10 list of commandments. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But for the Jewish people in the world that Jesus lived in, when you hear the, number, when you hear the word command, you don't go to the number 10. You go to a different number altogether. A different number steeped in Old Testament teaching, com- combined with Old Testament truth. It's a trigger word for you to remember everything that's been taught coming up to this point. Of all of these commandments, which is the most important, brings you to the number not 10, but 613. Because in the, Old, in the Old Testament, the original language, we see that there were 613 commandments. 365 of those were negative. Don't do this. Don't say that. Don't eat that. Don't wear that. Don't, 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 don't. So this man comes to Jesus. Many believe he's attempting to batten Jesus into a corner. He may be asking a, an honest question. Regardless, he's saying, Jesus, we have all of these commandments that we're juggling. Can you tell me which is the most important of all? 
And I think about the number of messages that are communicated to teenagers, very much like the teenagers who are part of your church. We've been told this about Christianity and this about Christianity, and we've been told this, and we've seen this actually practiced, and we've seen this malpracticed. Of all of the things that you're telling me about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, could you tell me which is the most important thing of all? It's a phrase that connects them to everything they've ever heard from all of us, right, wrong, good, bad, different, or indifferent. They've heard all of these things from all of us. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't do that. This message comes to the forefront for your 16-year-old, for your 14-year-old, for your 13-year-old, for your 12-year-old. They're in that preteen stage. For your 17-year-old, which is the most important of all? Of everything that these people have ever heard about this message, which one is to be central? And Jesus, looking at his audience and considering the person who's interacting with him, said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Something weird has happened here. Because when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, He is answering a man's question where he is asking for a commandment with a Jewish prayer. The Jewish prayer is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 called the Shema. And as soon as he says this, he's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This phrase has just connected this man to everything that has been taught to this group of people for the entirety of their existence. So if you want one commandment, Jesus says, here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the number one is a loaded word. We say weird things about the oneness of God. We say that God, that we tell people things like you should make God number one or you should put God first. And though I understand the sentiment of that, if we're not careful, we're missing what the scriptures actually say. Because when we talk about oneness in the Bible, we have to see what God is saying is... For those of us who follow Jesus, we don't have a list that says that God is one and, and softball is two and school is three. or what. That's not the list. The idea of oneness in the original language is centrality. Hear, O Israel, hear the people of God. The, the Lord our God, the Lord is at the center of everything. Friends, we don't make God number one no more than we make water wet. That's who he is. He is at the center of priority. The fact that we inhale and exhale and something takes place there says that God is at the center of everything. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. And at this point, this Jewish man who is listening to Jesus, maybe to debate with him, possibly to find information from him, To have a conversation with this Messiah who's been traveling around, moving place to place, saying numerous things, has just been locked in to not a moment, but to what has been working out before the beginning of time. The Lord our God is one. And you are to do this because of the oneness of God. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. What does it mean to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts? For you and I, we think of the heart as the thing that thumps in our chest. 
We, we think of hearts as the things that we have to buy at Valentine's Day. Maybe for you, you think of heart and you think of the cheeseburger you should have avoided last night. But for the Jewish people, the idea of heart is much more than just a piece of you. It's your complete being. To love the Lord your God with all of your soul, as Mark uses here. Mark's the only one who uses the word, but the concept's there. It's a, it is a word that reiterates the message of heart. The word soul actually comes from a word which means to hunger after. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your complete being, and you hunger after God. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Which is the scriptures, Jesus referencing all that they know and all they've ever known. To say, you are to actively engage in a mental relationship with God. That we would see that our relationship with God, though, is in some way connected to what takes place when you show up here on a Sunday morning. Or when you show up at some conference where they sing songs. and It's more than that. That God is a God of emotion, but he is not simply a God of emotion. That we've been called to connect with God in a mental way. To talk to God. To see what God would have to say. To consider all of the options and to debate what is God's word and the life that God has called me to live. How does it line up with that? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. All these words together. All these words talking about the inward working of a human being. Jesus has been asked to give a question that gives an answer to this idea of, I've been doing this and doing that. Can you just narrow it all down to one thing? And I think of the teenagers in your life. I think of you and of me. We have all of these plates spinning, all of these balls that we're juggling. Can you just tell me what gives me my one understanding of who God is and how he would have my life to function? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and your mind. And love the Lord your God with all of your strength. To actively participate in the message of God's oneness beyond just knowing things here. I don't know if you've got trigger words for you. There are trigger words for me when people ask things about well, what do you, where do you want to go eat? Well, I always think of various places in Chattanooga. I live south of Houston now as a missionary. And what I mean by that is I'm just in Texas and it's different. They don't understand barbecue because they believe that beef is barbecue. And we, we know that's not true. We are Tennesseans. Things work a little differently here. But because of that, there are trigger words that come to mind. Where do you want to eat in Chattanooga? More than likely, I'm going to say Loopy's Pizza. It's my favorite. Uh, trigger words. And for the Jewish people, the idea of Jesus referring to the Shema is very much a trigger. Because he has triggered them. To think not only about what he's saying in this moment, but all that's been ever been said about this very phrase. If you have your Bible, I want you to flip it back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at those words of Jesus, or of Moses rather, that Jesus is echoing here. Where he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord he's one. And you're to love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and with all of your strength. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Again, friends, the idea of interacting with your teenagers for the sake of the goodness of God means that we would see that we've been given opportunity to ask them to interact with a God who is divine. 
And not simply for us to barrier them off and, and protect them from all that the world is and say, don't go there, but to teach them as those who, have, who know Jesus how to interact with that. Because honestly, for me, with a 12-year-old, almost 13-year-old at my house right now, I'm evaluating the numerous conversations I've had with parents of teenagers and youth pastors of teenagers over the years. And I'm considering the numerous conversations that I've had with, at one point, teenagers who were actively involved in a relationship with Jesus who now, for whatever reason, have chosen to be part of a group that is no longer connected to that. Because when we gave them the idea of what it means to know God and walk with God, we did not necessarily point them to the oneness of Jesus, the centrality of Jesus. We pointed towards, this is your moral behavior, and I want you to behave morally. And that left them wanting. It left them hungering for something more because we've not taught them to use their brains. Do you understand that for the, when we read through the Bible and when Jesus says that you're to love God with your mind, he's honestly saying that when we consider everything that's taking place outside of a relationship with Christ, we're to weigh that against what a relationship with Christ teaches us. So you think of a 12 or a 13-year-old, and, and we realize this. They have access to information that you and I did not have when we were their age. If we're being honest, they've got access to information that we don't have now. Have you ever tried to use a phone with a teenager? They're explaining things to you. They're, they're showing you how to do things. Your teenager has access to more information than George Bush did during his presidency. Mickey was talking to me earlier this morning, and he reminded me of this overwhelming truth. In, your, in an average day, a teenager has, receives more information than a person who was their age did in the 1700s in their entire life. They are always engaging, always considering, always demonstrating an interaction with, with things that are, that are true. They're overwhelmed by this. And for me, I remember when I finished high school, I lived in Chattanooga, went to high school in Chattanooga. I eventually went to college in Chattanooga. And when I get to college, there's all, all of these things that I'm experiencing for the very first time because information is different and the way that I receive and interact with information is different. As an 18-year-old, I was a full-grown adult, barely, but the moment that we hand our child a device, if there's a question or a comment or a thought about what the church says and what God says, and there is always a place for them to go where they can receive a counterpoint. Because YouTube teaches them things that you and I, we don't even know that it's there. They're always interacting. Loving the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what do I do as a parent, as a grandparent, as the neighbor of a teenager? What do I do as a follower of Jesus? One, we probably need to acknowledge that what's taking place in their brain right now. And honestly, encourage them in a direction. And the Bible actually gives us specifics. Not necessarily specifics. And you should teach a teenager how to work with their cell phone. You should teach a teenager how they should date. The Bible doesn't work that way, but it does give us direction as, we, as to how to encourage them in regards to life. 
Moses says this after he says, Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says this. These words that I'm giving you today, they're, they're to be in your heart. They're not just words that you acknowledge in one moment. Now, we talk about, as Christians, the idea of justification, that we are just right with God, and we celebrate really important things like when your teenager or your child or your whomever, your nephew, your niece, when they are immersed in this water. That's a celebration of a moment, but where we may be missing is the idea of them being immersed in the water is them acknowledging that they're beginning a journey with Jesus. And for us not to interact with them about the journey, but just about the moment where it starts makes no sense whatsoever. It's like celebrating leaving to go on vacation and not thinking about the entirety of it. Are we having conversations about what's taking place in their hearts? Have we created a space where they can interact with us about the difficulties of life, the hardships that come in this life? Have we invited them to ask us the whatabouts or have we dismissed them? Are we using the excuse of the device that we give or the access that they have to throw our hands up at parenting and mentoring and, and caring. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm, going, I'm giving you today there to be in your heart. Not just out there to be in your whole being. Repeat them to your children. So as moms and dads of teenagers, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds... Say these things over and over and over and over. And when you're exhausted because you've said them over and over, say them again. Say them again. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. Finding those sweet moments to talk to your people, to talk to your kids. And not dismissing the opportunity that you have when you're taking them to school. Not missing the, the chance that you have when you're walking around your neighborhood. What do I do if it's my grandchild? There is a great chance that that child of yours who's now raising a child, they may be exhausted. How are you interacting with them? Are you telling them that God has a, that God does have a plan for this? Are we coming alongside in their struggles and reminding them that God's for them? Are we rolling our eyes? Are we pushing them to think about things with a God-centered perspective? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. When you lie down... And when you get up, this consistent chat, attempting to make the moments less awkward, having conversations with eternal perspective in mind, and remembering where we were when we were in their shoes. Eight of Deuteronomy. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. This is a, a reminder. 
you more than likely in Saudi Daisy have not bound anything to your forehead lately. Maybe. I don't know what's happening here. But this is the equivalent of you setting a reminder in your phone so that you remember something. For the Jewish people, they would tie a reminder around their wrist. They would tie a reminder around their forehead. And when they looked at that, God had an intentional message for them. And that message was this. This is to remind you that wherever you go, I happen to be there. So what Jesus has just said when he says, Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, has taken these Jewish people to everything they've ever heard about walking alongside in community with those they're raising. The fact of the matter is, when we read through the Bible and we talk about Paul being an old man, he's around 42 years old, which means I'm ancient. I'm 43. It's, it's, the, it's in a world where life was different, and the expectancy in regard to life was different. Jesus is saying at this point in your life, when you're considering what's the greatest commandment, what am I supposed to do with all that I've been told to do, he's saying centralize everything in a love of God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he goes on. And when he goes on, he takes another step in his pushing against the establishment of the world where someone may be questioning him and some may be earnestly asking questions. When Jesus says this in Mark chapter 12, and you are to the second commandment, it's just like it. What? Wait, the great commandment is to love, to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you're going to say to me that there's another commandment that comes alongside of that that's just as important, and that's the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself? These are one and one A for Jesus. You can't understand them apart from one another. Are we teaching and modeling loving our neighbor? Well, who's your neighbor? That's the question he'll eventually be asked. Because we always like a what about and an excuse, an attempt to walk away from what's hard. What about when they look at life differently than I do? What about when my neighbor's a jerk? And sometimes neighbors are jerks. You love your neighbor as yourself. Considering where you are, are we showing our teenagers, and not just our teenagers, by and large, each and every one of us, the idea of neighbor love? Because Jesus has just said that there is a great commandment, the love of God, and there is the great commandment as well, which is the love of God for love of man for God's sake. I've never belittled someone enough into coming into relationship with Jesus. Neither will we, any of us. We will never argue anyone into the kingdom. We will never fact check someone into the kingdom. What's the greatest commandment? That I would argue about X or yell about Y? Or am I showing and modeling love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? A life that is centered in Jesus, as we sang earlier, as the cornerstone Because we believe that he's beautiful and he's better. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul gives us an explanation of what that means and how that works. Our interaction with neighbor love in Galatians chapter 5. When he says this to believers. Those who have come to know the deep goodness of God through the person of Jesus and through his work. He says this about every single one of us. People of faith. The fruit of the Spirit, it's love. There was a moment 
where I found out that we had a church member leave because we talked about love too much. That's an odd conversation. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's, gentle, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. You know, remember, considering what Paul says in regard to what Jesus has said, because Jesus was reiterating what Moses had said. This man comes to him with one commandment. Jesus has just said, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says the display of love, it's, it's these things. All of these things. Put these things on display. Because everybody's wondering what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. And in this world that we live in where we've got 17-year-olds asking, how am I really supposed to interact with something that's divine and the world around me when they see us modeling something that is contrary and contradictory to, what they, to the scripture that we say that we claim? We leave them in the place of saying, you know, I've been told all this. I've been told I'm supposed to vote this way and think this way and and my mind is supposed to be engaged this way. I've been told that I'm supposed to be moral and I'm supposed to be good and, and I understand all this and I'm juggling it. Can you just center it for me? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says this and the man's almost dumbstruck. Because he's been, Jesus just quoted him something he's known and something he's heard since he was a child. And he says to Jesus this. You're right, teacher. Jesus, you nailed that. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. That's more important than all the burnt offerings and all of the sacrifices. Those are scriptural ideas that in a way resonate even now. It's more important than how we sing the songs. It's more important than whether or not we're on a drum or an organ or whatever that thing is. It's more important than all these things to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And this man's moving in a general direction. What a great thing. He's moving in the direction of what he is affirming the words of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, you agree with me? And then Jesus does something. He puts him on the spot. And I believe that it may put a lot of us on the spot if we're honest. Jesus has just been told by this man, everything that you say is right. And Jesus says to him, you, friend, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You've got all of the stuff, but you're not there. Because if you're not far from the kingdom, it means you have not arrived. How often for us do we have every acceptable answer if our Sunday school teacher were to ask us? Every correct response if someone were to push against our ideologies. How often are we people who are modeling 
that we're not far from the kingdom. Because Jesus has just said to this man, if you're not far from it, you're not part of it. I rolled in this morning. I was staying at a friend's house in somewhere. I don't know where I started this morning. Six o'clock's early. That first service, whoa. And as I was driving over, I kept trying to listen to my map talk to me. And I called Mickey when I got here, and I said, are you close? Well, he wasn't close yet. He was on his way. I'm I'm getting there. If he's close, it means he's not here. My great concern when we get lost in all the commandments and what someone should do and why someone should do it and how someone should act and why they should act that way, if we miss Jesus as a central truth, not allowing him to display how good he happens to be in the midst of confusion and chaos. We're saying that having answers is enough. When having answers is not enough, Jesus is enough. And my prayer for you as a church is you would choose to do a series like this and think through these truths together for these next few weeks. Is that you would see your place in interacting for the sake of saying that Jesus is enough. So you come at me with this or that and have conversation with me however you want. But Jesus, he is enough. He's enough. I want to pray for us this morning. And I think Mickey's got some conversation that he would like to have with us. Jesus, you're good. I thank you so much for Miles Strait. I thank you that you love them and you've shown your love to them. Lord, I thank you for how you've used this church to advance the mission of God for so many years. You reminded them of your goodness and your grace. God, you have used these people. Father, I pray that you'll remind us today as we think about what it means to say often to our teenager that we would say with our words and with our deeds that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves because you're at the center of us. So, Lord, shape how we do what we do and how we say what we say and how we act the way that we act. Lord, I want you to shape those things. Lord, mute us when we need to be muted. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I appreciate you sharing. And I've got some questions here. I want to just, uh, and just for a few minutes, just dialogue with you about a few things. First of all, um, just... Just to answer this question, if you were to, to summarize everything you just said, what would be things that we need to, on a regular basis, emphasize to our students? If we're parents and we have students at home, what are things we need to be saying, maybe on a daily basis to our teenagers, or at least regularly to our teenagers? Sure. I, I would encourage anyone to have a ministry of presence, uh, not to distance yourself from your child. The, the better parents that I know are regularly interacting with their kids, even about hard conversations, uh, even in difficult situations. They're, they're, they're present. And presence doesn't just mean that you're there. It, it means that you, if you've got moments where you're having to drive to the soccer field or the baseball field or to whatever, not missing that ch- chance to ask questions. And as you ask those questions, to be in an open dialogue with your kid. And for those who come around parents, I would say, are you checking on the parents of these kids and entering in when you're allowed to be, when you're allowed to in that kid's life, whoever that happens to be? So, yeah, be, be, be present and allow them to lead the conversation because they're going to take you somewhere as you engage. Engaging in conversation with your kids 
is important. And you being central, knowing the truth of Scripture is incredibly helpful. But they're going to come at you from every different direction. So you know what Scripture teaches and let that be shaped by compassion, kindness, generosity. Let those things be present in you. It's so easy to get frustrated. I've got four kids. They, they can frustrate you. I, I know how this works. And I, I would just present. Are you there for them? And not just physically, but in every way. Kind of going off of what you just said there. You know, as a parent of four, I, I understand this. It's easy to talk about pleasant subjects. But about difficult subjects, uh, a lot of times we just kind of avoid as parents. So how do, we, uh, how do we enter into those conversations about things that are difficult with our students? I, I would encourage you to embrace the awkward in that. Uh, look, nobody wants to talk about some of this stuff. It, it's odd. But the, the more groundwork you lay on the front side, the, the simpler it's going to be when, when those moments arrive. And not forcing yourself into a conversation, but the idea of, of being able to interact about those things matter-of-factly, and even casually, if you will, uh, so that it's not this huge thing when the moment comes because they've already been hearing this stuff from you for years. Even when their face turns red and your face turns red and everybody's red, just that's okay because there will be a moment when you're not. You set yourself up for success in that way, I, I, would, I think. I, and there are numerous resources. I know you guys have so much access to stuff here. But resources to help you navigate those difficult conversations. And those, these are realities that we face, right? Right. Absolutely. Uh, so let me, let me just kind of do one more question. Uh, you know, just thinking about, uh, as a parent myself, you know, having technology today and we're raising kids in a culture that was so different than the culture we were raised because the technology was, was not there. And especially with a, uh, a phone, especially with a smartphone, how involved should parents be uh, in what, if, if kids have cell phones, uh, with what's going on through cell phones, what's going on in social media, what, what their kids are accessing online, how involved should parents be? Well, I would say this, more than likely you know what your retirement looks like because you're investing in it. In the same way, your kid's phone, you pay for it. You pay the bill on it. You have the right to know everything that they're doing. You have the right to know how they're interacting. You have the right to read what they tweet or to read what they text and read how they how they interact with their friends, you have, because it's yours. It's yours. It, you pay for it. So get the most out of your investment. I, I don't understand, again, it is overwhelming to think about what we hand kids and we just let them run with it. I, it it's, been some, it's been eye-opening to watch in my own life what my kids have access to, and that's just from... From TV, when there's a commercial that pops up on something. So we just, I, again, you, it's yours. Well, if, they're, if you're paying the bill, it's yours. If they're under 18, it's yours. Just let them know everything is yours. And, you know, that'll make for an awkward conversation too. But it gets less awkward, right? I think so. I, it, I, you need to know everything that they're doing. I mean, within reason. Because it, it, it's... 
just in talking to people who are in leadership of, of organizations that work with youth ministry right now, when you begin to look at things like their access to por- pornography and especially that, like that's not a, oh, that's happening, let's fix it. We're talking two, three, four, five years because of the damage that's done just because we've, we've been a little negligent. And there are even some parents who are vigilant of those things. But we should be fighting the fight there and not allowing them just to run in directions that we know are harmful. So, I would appreciate, Chad, you sharing this morning. appreciate you answering a few of these questions. And we realize that for our teenagers, uh, growing up today is, is a tough challenge. Yeah. And to parent teenagers is a difficult challenge. And uh, what... I really appreciate how you've emphasized, though, it, in a lot of ways it's going back to the foundation. What, what is our purpose? Right. And it's the love of the Lord of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Well, so, and I just want to say this, because I know this is your position here at the church. I know, what's your official title? Uh, family pastor. Family pastor. When we say that, that doesn't mean that Mickey is the, just the making sure that your children's ministry are, are happening and making sure that youth ministry is happening. He is a resource for you as a parent, as a grandparent. Uh, so take advantage of the resources that your church so richly has. Not every church has that. And ask him, what do I need to read? Because I'm guessing he's got some resources for you. And, and what do I need to, to watch? What, what's going to help me engage in this better? And, and use the resources that your church has. Because he, that is what his goal is here. It's not just to look good. Look at him. So I'm not doing too good there. So you know. So anyway, that's what I'd say. Okay, I appreciate it. Let let me pray, and uh, I just want to pray again for our students and for our parents and grandparents as they minister to our students. Let's pray, God. Just uh, we come to you, and just ask for your help, Lord. Uh, at times, as a parent, I, I just think, boy, I wish I had a manual to tell me exactly what I need to do. And yes, I do have the Bible, but at times, Lord, there's things that are just, it doesn't say you do exactly this. And I, I don't know what to do. And Lord, we just need you. Lord, I do know this. I do know as, as moms and dads, if we're not walking with you daily, then we're not communicating to our kids what it really means to follow after Jesus Christ. And so it really starts for us as parents What's going on in our own hearts? How are we living our lives? Are we uh, daily trying to grow closer to Jesus Christ? And if not, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to see that no matter what we say with our lips, if our lives are not reflecting that, our kids pick up on that. And God, I just so lift up our teenagers today. Lord, with this coronavirus, it's made it even more complicated. But even without that, there's so much confusion, distraction, so much that Satan has done in our world today to make our teenagers really question, is there even a God? God, I pray that you would show yourself to be true to our teenagers, that they would see you in a new way, that they would see that you're alive and that you love them, and that you have a plan, a perfect plan for their lives. And God, again, we just cry out for your help. We cry out as people that don't have the answers. But we trust the one that has all the answers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.